This is the Uncovered Dish Christian Leadership Podcast. The podcast that uncovers stories, equips leaders, and changes the world. And we are your hosts, Caitlin Dio and James Lee. Yes. Hi, I'm looking for the pastor. Are you the pastor? Yes, this is the pastor. Great. So my name is Angie, and our daughter is now six months old, and I would love to get my baby baptized. Great. Angie, have we met before? No, I live 40 minutes away, but my parents used to go to this church, and I was baptized here. I'm thinking next week because my uncle is in town, and I want him to be the godparent. Uh, okay. Great. What time should we be there, and how much would it cost? Um... If you've ever been in ministry, chances are this has happened to you once or twice. What did you do? What should a pastor do in this situation? Do you proceed with the baptism knowing that you'll probably never see them again? But then you feel like you're not honoring the power of commitment and community behind baptism. Or do you turn them away? But then suddenly, now you're becoming a gatekeeper to God's grace. Baptism is one of the two sacraments United Methodists practice, and it is universally recognized as a sacrament in virtually every Christian denomination. But a lot about it is shrouded in mystery. What does it do? What does it symbolize? Who should or shouldn't get baptized? How do you do it well? And why does it matter? We're talking about all this on today's Uncovered Dish. My name is Eric Drew. I'm the director of worship here for the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, uh, which means I kind of partner with our congregations to make worship awesome. And I'm glad to be here today. Awesome. Hi, I'm contestant number two. I'm Gina Yeski. I'm the director of small groups, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, be a part of this conversation today. All right. Now, I just want to go around the table, just hear the stories of all of us, including Caitlin and myself. Well, how were you baptized? What was your baptism experience? Gina, you want to start and we'll kind of come around this way? Sure, absolutely. Uh, first of all, my denomination at birth was Roman Catholic, and um, my parents were founders of their church. And the priest came into the church and said that um, he wanted a child to be named after the church. And my mother being such a good church (laughs) member, she raised her hand and said she would do that. Uh, So the church's name was Queen of the Universe. So my name is not Queen. (laughs) (laughs) Or Queen of the Universe. Or Queen of the Universe, but um, my given name is Regina, which is the Latin for Queen. So my given name, and so I was named for the church. I went to Catholic school, first grade through eighth grade, and that pastor was there, and he would hand out the report cards. And so every year, he would tell the story that I was named for the church to the whole class. So when you're in first grade, you are so excited that the pastor is telling your story. And when you're in sixth grade, you want to crawl under the table. Right, right, right. But he told me... Wow. Um, that I was called to be a part of the church when I was in the womb. Wow. So that is my baptism story. 
Awesome. So next time, anyone, whenever you meet Gina Yeski, make sure you refer to her proper name, <laughs> Queen of the Universe. <laughs> yes. Yeski. That's who I am, the queen. <laughs> queen of the Universe. Uh, that's an awesome baptism story. My parents were good Methodists. I grew up in the Methodist church, and so I'm sure I was baptized as an infant or a baby. The church that our family attended gave out candles, little baptism candles. And I remember that when we moved, I was 13 years old. I remember finding the candle and my parents telling me about the candle and the baptism. So I don't remember my baptism, but there was definitely a point of reference somewhere in my teens that this candle kind of brought back the memory of I was baptized. All right, cool. Kaylin? Yeah, so um, I was an infant. Um, There's a picture of me in a nice, pretty white dress. Um, I was probably maybe six months old, I would think, of my mom and dad. I was at a Lutheran church at the time, um, but I don't remember anything. I think I may have questioned what baptism was, and my (laughs) kind of to this day, I think it's wrong, but... You get baptized so you don't go to hell. <laughs> so you get baptized so you go to heaven. That has always been my, uh, that's why you get baptized. So you go to heaven. That was always my understanding <laughs> Yeah, as a Lutheran until well, I was about like eight. Let's get into the theology later uh, in our conversation. That's, that's, so that's my that's baptism story. It's from Pitcher. And- I was baptized as an infant in a Methodist church. It was a Korean Methodist church. I have no recollection of it, but my dad told me recently how he remembers that I was giggling while the water was put on my head. But me personally, I don't remember anything. In college, I had a pretty remarkable spiritual experience. Not too long after, I started uh, dating Julie, who's now my wife, and we were engaged. We went to this big, big conference in Kansas very evangelical conference and there they were really big on believers baptism right and they were offering baptisms then and there and there were thousands of people there and we're like you know what i'm in a point in my life where i feel like i want to recommit myself so julie and i we went we took a little class and there was a big pool and they dunked us in and i gotta say it's it was a powerful experience. Uh, the symbolism behind being dunked in the water. They were saying they put you in for three seconds to represent the three days in the tomb, and when you come out, the pastor was telling me, you know, open your eyes as you're coming out, and you will see as the waters part and you see the light above you, some something will happen. And for me, that represented me experiencing resurrection and experiencing Christ coming into my life. So. That's that's where I am at. Reaffirmation of baptism, though. It wasn't a second baptism. <laughs> that's a, I, well done, that's as my, a Methodist. As a Methodist. As a, <laughs> as a repenting Methodist. All right, Gina, before you became the director of small groups, you were the pastor at Simply Grace UMC, and for two years, there were 35 baptisms. Is that correct? That is correct. In um, between October of 2015 and October 2017, we did 35 baptisms. Baptisms, they were infant, children's, teens, and adults. Holy wow. Oh, that's amazing. So when uh, someone approaches you to be baptized, whether it's an infant or adult, uh, what, what's your process? What, what do you, what's the process that you take? I'd like to uh, go one step before that, yeah, yeah. if I can. Of course. Because I think that uh, too often as a local church, we think about... If someone comes to us mm. and asks to be baptism, right. in, in your story, James, you talked about there was an invitation. 
Yeah, yeah. And that you responded to an invitation. So we need to, first of all, invite people to tell their stories. So it's part of the conversation. And then as pastors, we need to, and youth leaders in Sunday schools, we need to invite people who might not be baptized into an opportunity to be baptized. So yes, a good percentage of people will come to you and and ask, you know, we want our baby baptized. But I think that it's important that we we also make sure that we have a uh, a culture of invitation. So I mean, so would you say because you had such a culture of invitation is why there were so many baptisms yes. at Simply Grace? Okay. Yes, especially of adults. Mm. Because uh I we we would ask, you know, can you tell me your story of baptism? And then if they weren't baptized right then I would know. I would also I also uh recognize that sometimes people didn't join the church because they hadn't been baptized and they were embarrassed by it. They were like, Oh, babies, only babies are baptized and so I missed my opportunity. So creating wow. a culture of this grace is offered to everyone was really important. Um, so Eric, you know, you approached Gina to have your two daughters baptized and we heard it wasn't a natural thing for you to, uh, to do, thing to do for your family. Um, can you walk us through what happened um, when you kind of approached Gina about this? Yeah, so Pastor Gina baptized our girls and our girls were the about- The cutest f- girls, I just have to say. Uh, <laughs> you have to plug that in. <laughs> I'm biased, but yeah, I think they're the they're cutest They're the cutest too. girls, twin girls. <laughs> so girls, and they were four and a half years old. And that was really because it took us that long in our family to figure out how to do it and if we wanted to baptize the girls at all. My wife was baptized when she was old enough to make the decision for herself and that was very much in her background and uh, I come from the Methodist church. I was baptized as a baby. I don't remember my baptism uh, but I thought it was really something very important for us to do with the girls and she said well no that's a decision they have to make and so we went back and forth for years really in our family to kind of find what's the balance what's the happy medium what does baptism mean and how are we going to engage that for our girls and ultimately what happened was and I didn't push the issue a lot with my wife and girls but uh, a couple times, I just I came across a book, Desiring the Kingdom, James K. A. Smith. I remember we were thinking about baptism as the Connection Ministries team here in Greater New Jersey, and I, f- I found this beautiful piece around baptism and the community, how you're baptized into the community, and that s- spoke deeply to me. I just shared it with Dulce and said, you know, it's not only about someone making a decision for the girls or the girls make their own decision like there's this beautiful piece of baptism where you're baptized into a community and we as a family felt at home at simply grace i think theologically it makes sense but where i wrestle with is i see so many of my peers or people of my age who were baptized as an infant no longer go to church when i ask them about their baptism it has no meaning to them. And does that... <laughs> I, heard <laughs> like, I, I see, I have a picture. I have no idea why I got baptized. You know, I don't know the meaning of it. I don't know what it is. Right. Like, this is like, I open it. I'm like, oh, this is what baptism yeah. is. This is what the meaning of it and, is. And Caitlin's not alone. And, and I, I'm just like, is is this the churches? Is this the community that baptized them? Was that their fault? You know, like, what, what, what happened there? You know, in believer's baptism, there's such a 
such a ownership to it. Uh, this is mine, right? Whereas uh, infant baptism, I feel like there's so much there, but to so many people that I talk to, it seems like for them, they have no connection, personal connection to it. How? What do you think to that? Yeah, I think the thing, James, you're capturing there is young people, millennials and, and younger than them, we have a desire for rites of passage for committing ourselves to some something greater than us and this is something that you know the church i think to some extent the church is to blame because we don't offer very many really meaningful moments to commit ourselves Mm -hmm. to something greater or 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 the rite of passage moment where i decide again or i commit myself again so i love the methodist theology of baptism that children are called god's beloved that the community partners with them and vows to walk with the parents and the children uh it's that's so deep and rich to me and i mean shame on us if our kids forget that moment Mm. or if as a community we are not not fully walking into that and they just forget and all it is is a candle for them and if we're not regularly asking people to commit their lives to something greater than just living for themselves again like you know i started a lutheran church and then we moved to methodist so you know, that community no longer exists. How do parents continue to remind their children of baptism? The first pastor that I served with as an associate, I took this practice from her. She has the family walk down the aisle after the baptism, the entire family, and she says, this child, you are committing to being his or her Sunday school teachers and youth leaders. You're committing that you're going to go on mission trips. You're going to be with them through their teen years. You're going to come alongside this this family in good times and in bads, and, and you have a responsibility. And so you're, you're claiming a responsibility uh, for the congregation to care for this family. So if, yes... There, there are going to be situations, but I believe that it is God's grace that if somebody's grandmother or mother was baptized in a church and they have a, a child and they come to me as a pastor and say, I want this child baptized, that is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to, to use to reconnect them to uh, the faith of their baptism. So it's not only that I do the baptism, but then we send them letters and we we get people to make sure that we they follow up with them. And when we see them on Christmas and Easter, we are totally excited. I just want to also go back to the theological question. So whenever I have conversations with people about baptism, I get a vast variety of theological answers as to what they think baptism is about. And one of the ones that I that I heard even before Kayla mentioned it was, uh, I get baptized so I don't go to hell, right? So what's the theological re- relationship between baptism and salvation, heaven, hell, all that? What are your guys' takes on it? No, I'm nervous. I'll, 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 I don't know. Well, I'll tell you. I always go into a conversation because often, especially today, you are not bringing in people just who are a cradle Methodist. You're, right. you're bringing in people from all different denominations. So I always begin with the conversation of your God, our God loves 
you and your child so much that this is not about heaven and hell. If anything would happen, God's grace and love will have your child in heaven. So let's just not even go there. This is about being part of God's family. This is about beginning to opening doors of, uh, for faith in, in their future life. This is about claiming for yourself and for the community that this is God's beloved child. So it it is an um, fire insurance, as they call it. Oh, fire. <laughs> fire insurance. Eric, any, anything to add there? Yeah, and I think we can debate the theology and the poly and the doctrine and what all the right answers are. And the church can be very, very hurtful when we care more about right beliefs than loving people where they are and offering God's grace where people are. So I would just encourage all of us not to be stuck on just what are the right answers I kind of suspect that God is less worried about the right answers than uh, the state of our hearts and being open and sharing the grace of God. I had a baptism. It was of a, a, a teenager. And it was uh, a whole family getting baptized together. So it was uh, this woman's three grandchildren, an infant, a 10-year-old, and a 13-year-old wow. all getting baptized together. And Holy so I. Cow. It, we we talked. We set up uh, meetings. The the one dad just didn't come to anything. The day of the baptism, we gathered together, and I began this because they already heard all my baptism stuff already, all my best stuff I had used. So I <laughs> I picked up the the baptismal ball and I said, passed it around the family that was standing there, and I said, dip your hand in. And remember your baptism. And I noticed her dad didn't do it. I started baptizing her and he just began to weep. He really just started beginning to, he really was crying. And I looked at him and I said, were you ever baptized? And he said, no. And I said, would you like to be baptized? And he said, yes. And so, yeah, we baptized him right there and then. And he had this instant connection to this community because we even though he you know it could have been an obstacle that he didn't come to the meetings but instead he saw God's grace in that moment and he wanted it for himself and he went home and he posted it all over Facebook I was baptized today don't be an obstacle because it wasn't like, okay, I'll take care of you next week or next month you can be baptized. It was movement with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So if somebody's listening right now and, you know, is considering being baptized, what is their first steps? Like, what do you suggest they do first? Yeah, first I'd just say, uh, you're not alone. Our churches are full of people who uh, maybe haven't been baptized yet or... Uh, so don't feel like you're alone. And I would also just say the community is so important in baptism. You know, is there one or two people in your church or in your small group or in your community you can, you can connect with? And can you connect with your pastor? For me, I, I would uh, reiterate everything that Eric said, but also remember this is step one. 
because I think so often we feel like we need to have all this information in our head about what is baptism and what am I supposed to do and what am I going to memorize? And it's just like when I do wedding vows with people, I'm like, I'm going to say it and you just say it after me. Don't remember. Don't worry about what you're going to say. The same thing with baptism. We are going to walk beside you and, you know, together we're going to get there. So just remember, it's step one. And so just take one step at a time. Don't worry about um, what you know or don't know. Mm. Just remember you're God's beloved. So I'm, I'm, I'm soaking this all in because uh, right now I'm serving as the senior pastor at Conklin United Methodist Church in South River, New Jersey, Sundays at 10 a.m. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I'm coming to That's I'm, a I'm, go, plug. I'm doing my <laughs> shameless plug. We have a pretty cool church. Uh, I'll be doing my first ever baptism pretty soon. Uh, any tips? Warm water. <laughs> <laughs> water oh, uh, cools off pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so definitely warm water no to baptize no i still think there should be a baptism slip and slide, slide baptism, baptism. <laughs> no, okay. it works i think you'll get nobody stage for that <laughs> yeah oh and don't wait to baptize babies until the end of the service it's like the most excruciating thing as a parent just praying that your kids don't have a meltdown in the middle of a sermon like true so do you do like baptism like first thing or i mean what do you guys think I think it should be pretty close to the very beginning. Okay. Not too early because it's hard to get like the, this baby all dressed up. Oh, and don't, and you know, let people do their own sense of style. I mean, because we've had everything from babies that are all in their frilly little white gowns to uh, little kids in shorts. And yeah, it's fine. Yeah, whatever. Like, yeah. and ta- give people permission. There's no rules. There's no rules on what anyone wears, so that's okay. Yeah. I mean, people have black wedding dresses now, or wet yeah. wedding dresses. So where did like the white, cr- the white gown, the christening, right? Christine can also be another name for baptism, right? Yes. Why am I thinking christening? It, it is, is okay. It's the same thing. In Catholic and Lutheran oh, okay. traditions, yeah, they use christening, yeah, hearing. but it's the same. Um, it's so where did that whole the white dress come from? Is that not a Methodist thing, or it's just? It's purity. It's the same as a okay. wedding uh, gown piece, but there's no rules about it. There was uh, one woman who had made baptismal dresses from her wedding dress for both of her girls. So there, there's be, be creative. Just be yourself. So I think that's important. But I do think the beginning, but also I think it's also important as a pastor to give permission to the parents of this is your day. So therefore, if the child is crying and it's time for us to come forward and you feel like it's you need one to get them something to drink first, don't worry. We can keep going on with the service. And when you're ready, we're going to bring you up. So kind of make that. Also, you know, in my conversation, I would say uh, practicals. Do you Who do you want to stand up front with you? Yeah. For some people, they want their entire family. For other people, they just want the, the parents and um, the sponsors. You don't even have to have a sponsor in the Methodist Church or godparents, as we used to call them. So, you know, uh, just make sure that people um, have... Uh, know that ahead of time. Also leave space, good seats for visitors. 
and parking spaces for visitors because that's going to be a day. And if you're a pastor, make sure that it's a day that you, you know, you've picked songs that everybody likes to sing and um, (laughs) that makes your congregation sound and look welcoming because it's a great day for hospitality too. Yeah, I mean, I love all Gina's suggestions. Remember that that people are coming help out your guests and visitors who probably haven't come to your church or maybe any church. Don't be awkward. Just invite people along for the journey. Another thing I'd say is, especially I think on the pastoral side of things, there are all these logistics all of a sudden you have to make sure. So you don't want to be the pastor that gets up ready for the baptism moment and no one filled the baptismal font with water. I've been sitting in the front row when that has happened before. Oh. Uh, and, and so there are like, there's like this checklist of thing. Oh, you have to make sure this goes right and this goes right and this goes right. I think the danger is that we can get so caught up in making sure that the baptism actually happens and comes off that we don't get to experience the celebration and this movement of grace with the family. I mean, take the time to enjoy it. I think... Um Consider the place of your fountain your or your font, your yeah. baptismal font. Yeah. So often we have baptismal fonts squished in a corner in our, on our altar for practicality's sake. Mm-hmm. So if it can be moved, move it. Move it front and center for the day Yeah. to make sure that, yes, this is the important thing. Um, that, that'll make a difference. And like Eric said, there are a lot of practicalities that have to be dealt with. Invite members of your congregation to be a part of it. So I invited somebody who had really good handwriting to fill out the baptismal certificates because I was <laughs> terrible <laughs> with filling wow. out baptismal okay. certificates. So, yeah, yeah. But that was something they took pride in. Um, Where do you get a baptismal certificate? You can get them at Cokesbury. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, right. you can order them. Five this is what I pack. mean by it's my first time. I'm like, I know I need to get one. But Make what, sure that Cokesbury. you know if there are <laughs> okay. traditions for your congregation so that, you know, if there is something like handing out a Bible or giving a candle yeah. that you're, you're following through. But if there isn't one, create one. Mm. Uh, the one thing that one of the... Uh, when I began doing baptisms, I always used a shell because I had heard a shell was a symbol uh, in the early church for baptism. Oh, wow. So I always used the shell. And then we either gave people a shell or they left a shell. But then the baptismal font was overflowing with shells. So that wasn't going to work anymore. <laughs> and one of the older women in the church told me that in the 50s, one of their pastors had had people bring a pitcher from their home to use for baptism and that it could be a fancy thing something you use on holidays it could be uh, the thing you make kool-aid in but bring it and then it opens up the opportunity for the family to talk about the child's baptism every time they use that picture so we had a dairy farmer who brought a milk bottle we had another family that they brought a a silver gravy boat because that was mattered to them and all the different kinds of pictures that we used over the years. It was really, uh, I was glad she shared that tradition. So create some tradition about it. Because mm. I think that that will uh, inspire our creativity, but continue the story. Yeah. Awesome. You guys both, you know, shared a lot of great tips and pointers and information, resources. Where can, if somebody's looking to do a baptism or have a baptism, um, what's some resources that you guys can share? 
So we're in the middle of launching Water and Roots. It's open now. You could visit waterandroots.org to get all the information and to sign up. And uh, we have a baptism worship series, a sermon series for three weeks in January uh, that are available. There are sermon notes and there's research on scripture verses and there are graphics you can put on your screens and there are hymn suggestions and there's documents about Methodist theology and what we believe. There are videos to use in your worship service around baptism. Uh, We believe that baptism is a transformational practice, not just for individuals, but for our churches and our communities. And so at Water and Roots, by signing up for free, you get all this stuff to bring to life in your church. UMC.org has a lot of good resources for us, too. Uh, But you can find those links straight from the waterandroots.org. And uh, our friends at Discipleship Ministries have all kinds of different resources that are available to help people who want to baptize their child, people who want to be baptized themselves, to help pastors. So in addition to Water and Roots, yeah, I would just second that if you Google search for Discipleship Ministries Baptism, you're going to find more resources than you know what to do with. Um, So we have one last question. I know Eric... As I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I hate this <laughs> <laughs> Eric, Eric Drew was on our very first ever episode. <laughs> so Eric, you can't repeat whatever you said on the first episode. So you have to come up with a new one. So a question that we ask all of our guests um, at the end of our podcast is if you can pick one food item, um, no variations, that you would want to eat for the rest of your life, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. For Eric, this is your second favorite food item. <laughs> that you would want to eat three times a day. Um, What would that food item be? It's very easy for me. Pasta. 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 And I am just fine with pasta with olive oil and a little bit of lemon pepper and great Italian cheese grated on top. That sounds good. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) I could do that. The last time I was asked this question, I definitely went with like a bacon cheeseburger with jalapeno on top or something silly like that. The heartburn set in. So yeah. You that so you got so, a I, today, my answer is I'm kind of on a health kick and trying to eat a little bit better. But I had an amazing Cobb salad uh, last week at a diner in New Hope, Pennsylvania. And I would eat that and my body would appreciate that a lot more. What's than, the name of the diner? We'll plug it. Oh, it was the Something Star Diner in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Something Star Diner oh, in New Hope, Pennsylvania. Star Diner, New Star Diner, something like that. All right, we'll look it up. Yeah, avocado is a good. That would be my second. Avocado. Yeah. All right, guys. Again, that was uh, Reverend Gina Yeski and Eric Drew of the United Methodist Church Greater New Jersey Connectional Ministries team. Uh, we have been working so hard on Water and Roots this wonderful initiative to just to reintroduce baptism and how amazing it is to all our local congregations here in Greater New Jersey. You can find all those resources for free at waterandroots.org and join the movement. Uh, Gina, uh, Eric, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks. This podcast is produced by the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey at the Mission and Resource Center in Neptune, New Jersey. Your hosts were James Lee and Caitlin Deal, and also a special thank you to Paul Barnett, our podcast ministerial intern. 
If there are any topics you'd like us to uncover or any comments for us, you can email them to podcast at gnjumc.org. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to give us a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to be up to date on the latest episodes. We'll talk to you soon.